but it still is controversial in some circles. And so I want to show you from the Bible what the, what the scripture says. I know people have their own doctrines. Churches and denominations have their own ideas about things. But let's see what the Bible says about when people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Here the first example that we've got is the 120 being filled with the Holy Ghost. In verse 4 of Acts chapter 2. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now let me stop here just long enough to realize or to point out. I hope you realize that the understood subject in this sentence is they. They were filled. And they began to speak. I think there's some misconception in the, in the church world about the Holy Ghost and certainly about speaking in tongues. The Holy Ghost does not speak in tongues. I've had people in the prayer room come to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And because they didn't know any better or because of wrong thinking on their part, they just stood there with their mouth open expecting God to take control of their mouth and wiggle their tongue around, do whatever he, they think he's going to do, and make sounds. The Holy Ghost doesn't speak in tongues. The Holy Ghost has no need to speak in tongues. But we do. When Jesus said, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Notice he didn't say after the Holy Ghost has come within you. He's already come within them when they were baptized or when they were uh, saved in John chapter 20. They've got the Spirit of God on the inside of them. But this power comes from the Spirit of God coming on you. So it says, they began to speak with other tongues. They were filled and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now here's the, here's the secret, folks. The secret is, the supernatural part is not who does the talking. The supernatural part is the what that's being said. The supernatural part is the utterance. That's the Holy Ghost part. Us speaking in tongues, it's a, a faith proposition for us every time we open our mouth to speak in other tongues. But the supernatural part is not the fact that we speak. The supernatural part is the words that are given us to say. That's the supernatural part. And notice again that that is connected with power. You shall, re be, uh, you shall receive power, Acts 1.8 says, after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Now the end result of this in Acts chapter 2 is that Peter preaches to the crowd and gets 5,000 people saved. He gets 5,000 people saved. Now folks, prior to this point in time, does anybody have confidence in Peter or any of the other disciples to have those kind of results? I wouldn't think so. But now Peter is getting a multitude of people saved. He's got crowds just like Jesus had. How come? Because of the power that was associated with the experience of being filled with the Spirit. He may not be saying anything that he wouldn't say or hadn't said at other times. But he's saying it now with power. And it affects people. It opens their eyes to the truth of the, of the gospel. It opens their eyes to the truth of what Jesus has done for us. The price he's paid for us. And 5,000 people get saved in one, one afternoon. Now the next one I want to show you is over in Acts chapter 10. As I said there are five different times in the um, book of Acts. Where someone or some group of people were filled with the spirit. Well if we want to see what kind of experience they had. We're going to have to read the Bible and let it tell us for itself. Acts chapter 10 the whole chapter is really about this one incident. It starts off in, in the first couple of verses of the chapter telling us about a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius was praying 
And an angel appeared to him. And the angel told him where to send for to find Peter. Now, uh, and the, the purpose that the angel says, go find Peter, go get Peter to, to come to your house, is so that he and all of his house could be saved. So messengers were sent for Peter to the uh, place in Joppa where he was staying. And in the meantime, Peter is on the housetop waiting for lunch to be prepared. And he has a trance. He falls into a trance and has a vision. And you remember the vision that he has is where this giant sheet is let down by the four corners. And there's all kinds of animals in this sheet, both clean and unclean. Clean and unclean meaning clean according to the law of Moses, unclean according to the law of Moses. And a voice speaks to Peter in this vision and says, rise, Peter, slay and eat. And Peter doesn't do it. Peter doesn't answer it positively. He said, not so, Lord. Apparently he knew who it was. He said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean and I won't start now. And Jesus speaks back to him in the vision and said, don't call common or unclean that which I have cleansed. See, the blood of Jesus cleansed everybody and made everybody worthy of receiving and accepting salvation. It's not just for the Jews. Now, Acts chapter 10 is 10 years after Acts chapter 2. And the, the uh, preaching of Jesus really hasn't gotten out to the Gentile world much at all. And that's, that's what the purpose for this vision was when Peter falls into the trance. The purpose of this vision is to let him know God sees Gentiles and Jews alike. Not one unclean and the other clean. All of mankind is the same when it comes to receiving or the availability to receive salvation. Well, this happens three times. Same thing each time. Peter apparently answers the same way three times. So he didn't get it. At least not initially. So then the Holy Spirit speaks to him after this vision and tells him there are three men that are downstairs looking for you. Go with them. Don't ask anything. Just do what they ask. So they did. These messengers took them the next morning. They took them back over to Cornelius' house. Cornelius comes in, or Peter comes into the house. Cornelius and all of his family is there waiting for this guy that the angel told him about. They fall down. Cornelius falls down before Peter and starts worshiping him. And Peter stops him and says, don't do that. I'm just a man like you are. Why am I here? And Cornelius relates the story about how that he had the vision from the angel or the appearance of the angel the previous day and told him where to find Peter. And so they did. And here he is. Then Peter understands what the vision was about the day before. He understands that it's God telling him that he's cleansed the Gentiles by the blood of Jesus just as he has the Jews. Same salvation experience is available to Jew and Gentile alike. So Peter begins to speak to them, tell them about Jesus, preaching to them about what Jesus did when he was here on the earth and so forth. Now look at Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, he's preaching about Jesus. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, there were Jews that had gone down with Peter. Peter knew he was going to get in trouble for going to Cornelius' house, so he took some Jewish representatives of the church with him. And they of the circumcision which believed, Christians in other words, were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also were poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now how did they know? What made them to be astonished? How did they know that they had received the Holy Ghost? Notice the next verse. For they heard them speak with tongues 
and magnified God. They heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Now notice what the Jewish representatives understood, what they saw and what they understood. They saw and heard these new converts, these people in Cornelius' house, which they apparently, I don't know about them individually, but at least the Jewish representation of the church in Jerusalem for the most part, had no clue, had no idea, had no hope for, the, uh, for salvation being available for Gentiles. They thought that it was all for the Jews. After having been with Jesus, the apostles were unable to convince everybody else, convince the rest of the church that it was for everybody. Things that we take for granted, they didn't know. And so they of the circumcision watched what was going on, heard Peter preaching, and all of a sudden these people start speaking with other tongues. And they recognized that that meant that the Holy Ghost had fallen upon them. Notice that the early church recognized that speaking with tongues was the proof or the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. Now let's look at another example. Ten years later over in Acts chapter 19. This is now 20 years after the uh, Acts chapter 2. After the uh, Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. I'll start in verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now notice how he identifies this. Notice the way he says this. He recognizes and assumes, turns out to be a wrong assumption, but he assumes that they're believers. He assumes that they're Christians because of the way that they're acting and their lifestyle or whatever. He looks at these people and thinks these people really care about God. So he assumes that they're born again. So he, they, he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Notice that phrase again. Have you received the Holy Ghost? Folks, salvation is not talking about and is not referred to as receiving the Holy Ghost. That's identified as receiving Jesus. So he assumes, Paul assumes that they have already accepted Jesus from their lifestyle and from the manner in which they're operating. So he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Two, two different acts of, the work, uh, of God's work, believing unto salvation and receiving the Holy Ghost. And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And then he said unto them, under what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice they got saved. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about entering into the family of God. It's talking about the new birth. When the Bible talks about we're baptized into Christ, it's not talking about water baptism. Water baptism is just an outward sign of an inward work of God. Water baptism is just a symbol. You don't get saved by water baptism. It's just an outward sign of something that's already happened on the inside. So here where it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means they were born again. Now notice the next thing that happens. When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Again, notice the dual working of the Holy Ghost. The first working of the Holy Ghost was in salvation. Just as Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 20, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. There's a work of the Holy Ghost that recreates mankind at the new birth. That's what the new birth is all about. But then there's another work of the Spirit of God too. That's where the Holy Ghost comes upon them. 
Now, this story in Acts chapter 19 is instructive for us because when Paul gets to town, he knows there's two works of the Holy Ghost, salvation and the infilling or baptism of the Spirit. He assumes that these people are saved. But then when they say they've never heard of the Holy Ghost, that makes him back up a little bit and find out why they're living the way they're living, why they appear to him at least to be saved. And they say, we've been baptized under John's baptism. In other words, the message that John preached changed us. And he explains to them that that was a baptism of repentance. In other words, these people were living right based on what John had preached to them. But then they find out about Jesus. And so they give their heart to Jesus. They confess him as their Lord and Savior and enter into the family of God. That's called the new birth. And then Paul lays his hands on them to be filled with the Spirit. And when, he, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. We don't know how many women and children were there too. But there was a group of people, probably 25, 30 maybe, counting women and kids, that the church at Ephesus started with. Now here's three examples that the Bible tells us specifically that when the people were filled with the Spirit... Or baptized in the Holy Ghost. Those are interchangeable terms. When we're filled with the Spirit. Or when we're baptized in the Holy Ghost. The evidence. The initial evidence. Is speaking in other tongues. Well if we have the same experience they have. We should expect the same evidence. Shouldn't we? Now there are two other examples. Of people being filled with the Spirit. In the book of Acts. And I want you to turn back with me. And look at those with me as well. The first one's in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Folks, when you haven't seen the power of God, it's easy for people to trick you about trick you into thinking their way about what the power of God is. But now they're seeing the real thing. It says, And to them they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Notice verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now, what does it mean when it says when they heard that Samaria had received the word of God? Well, we know that means salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 says we're born again by the incorruptible seed of God's word. So receiving the word of God, we see clearly indicates or describes that the people were saved. They gave their hearts and lives to Jesus. But when the apostles that were in Jerusalem heard that they had received the, son of the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. 
For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, that means they were saved, but they hadn't, nobody in that place had been filled with the Spirit as of yet. Then laid they their hands on them, Peter and John laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now here some people would say, well, it doesn't say that they spoke with tongues. Well, let's keep reading. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, what did Simon see? He had to see something because he's trying to buy it. He was trying to buy the, the ministry of laying, homes, laying hands on people and then being filled with the Spirit of God. Now, it doesn't say specifically, as I mentioned, it doesn't say specifically that they talked in tongues or spoke with other tongues. But he had to see something. If there was no evidence, then he wouldn't have to try, offer money to buy it. So he had to see something took place with these people. What was it? Well, the language tells us. The translation is not real good on this, but the language tells us itself. Notice again in verse 21, Peter said, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. If you look up this word matter, you'll find that it's the word logos. If you've got a uh, Bible app or something on your phone, if you do a search for it, you'll find out that the word logos is a, is a very common word. It's used a lot. 316 times in the New, uh, New Testament. Now there's a lot of verses of Scripture that you're familiar with that use this word, Logos. Uh, John chapter 1, for example, says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That word, that word translated word in, from the Greek is the word Logos. Verse 14 goes on to say, and the Word was made flesh and dwell among us. That the, that's this word Logos. There are times where, well, for, for example, in uh, Mark chapter 4, you remember the parable of the sower sowing the word? Every time the word word is used in Mark chapter 4, describing that parable, it's the word logos. There's a lot of different ways that it uh, is translated or different words that are used for the translation. One example is in Mark chapter 10 when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments, keep them. This guy says, well, I've kept all those commandments from my youth up. And the Bible says Jesus looked on him and loved him. And then he said, there's only one thing you have left to do. Sell what you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Well, the Bible says that the, the rich young ruler turned away grieved. It says he was grieved at this saying. The word that's translated saying in Mark chapter 10 in that account or in that story is the word logos. If you look at the definition of the word logos from the Strong's Concordance, it literally says that it means something said. Well, that's what words are, aren't they? Things that are said. Jesus goes on to explain to the disciples about the rich young ruler. And he tells them how hard it is for those that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the, the Bible says they were astonished at this saying. That word saying is also the word logos. So it's talking about something said. So when Peter says to Simon, 
Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. He's talking about in this saying, in this communication, in this something that is said. In other words, what Simon saw was that the people were saying something. He saw a change in their communication. Well, if we get that close to it, how can we deny, how could anybody deny that what they were saying must have been the same thing that the others were saying in other examples, three examples we've already looked at in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19. The something that was being said had to be speaking in other tongues. So the language defines it for us itself. One translation says it this way, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter of utterance. Well, that's almost an exact description of Acts chapter 2, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy, Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Last one of the five is in Acts chapter 9. This is when Saul is working to persecute the church. Jesus appears to him in the light that shined down around him from heaven and asked him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight. And neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now there's all kinds of revelation and things that are packed into these scriptures but it's Jesus communicating with Ananias to go return Saul's sight to him then Ananias answered and said Lord I've heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints in Jerusalem and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name it sounds like Ananias is thinking if this guy's blind that might be to our advantage but the Lord said unto him go thy way for he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest has sent me. That thou mightest receive thy sight. And I notice the last phrase of verse 17. And be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now if you go back and look at... Um, well, let me finish reading the story. Verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Now here's Ananias adding something to what the Lord had told him to do. Now why is that? Well, there's two possibilities. One, on his way, the Lord witnesses to his heart that he needs to pray for him for the Holy Ghost as well. Or maybe the other, since the Lord has already identified that Paul was a chosen vessel and he's going to be operating in the ministry, Ananias would certainly know that the same thing that applied to the disciples when they were told by Jesus to tarry in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. The same thing would be necessary and needful for Paul in whatever ministry God had for him. 
Whichever way it went, I'm not exactly sure. One way is just as good as the other as far as I'm concerned. But he lays hands on him to receive the Holy Ghost along with receiving his sight. Now the Bible doesn't say that Paul spoke in tongues here, but we know that he did. He wrote to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, about verse 18 I think it is. He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Then the only question we have to ask in this situation is, when did Paul begin to speak with other tongues? We know he did. It doesn't specifically say it in chapter 9 that he began to speak with other tongues at that point. But if his experience of being filled with the Spirit was consistent with everything else we have in the Scripture, the New Testament, the other four examples in the book of Acts that we've just looked at, then we'd have to conclude that Paul began to speak with other tongues when he was filled or baptized with the Holy Ghost too. So we've got five examples, four ironclad proof that the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit is speaking in other tongues. And Paul, who himself said that he spoke with other tongues. Now turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, follow after charity or love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Verse 2, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. This word mystery means secret. Weymouth's translation calls them divine secrets. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. Notice what the Bible says here about speaking with other tongues. It says in verse 2, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto man but unto God. It's supernatural communication between you and the Father. And the Bible also says that in the Spirit, when we speak in other tongues, we're speaking in the Spirit. And it said in the Spirit, what we're speaking is what he defines as mysteries or divine secrets. Now folks, I think you know this as well as I do. There's not a lot of controversy in the church world about the Holy Ghost. But there's a lot of controversy about tongues. There's a lot of controversy about tongues. I had a fellow one time come up to me after the service. And I I guess we preached or talked something about the Holy Ghost. I don't really remember for sure. But he came up after the service and, uh, and you could tell he had a chip on his shoulder. He was just wanting to fight. And so he wanted to fight about the Holy Ghost. He started in by saying, now I'm filled with the Spirit and I don't speak with other tongues. But I'm like those in Acts chapter 19. When I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I began to prophesy. And so see, that's the evidence that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, just like in the book of Acts. And I pointed out to him and I told him, look... If you're satisfied with what you got, that's great. Doesn't matter to me one way or the other. But since you brought up the subject, let me tell you just this much at least. Notice it says they spake with tongues and prophesied. The tongues was first. The tongues, which is the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit, came first before they prophesied. And was the source of power for them to prophesy. Now I don't know what this guy did. I don't know what he was called prophecy. I don't know if it was uh, turned out to be anything or not. I don't much think so if he wasn't filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking other tongues. But as I said, the controversy is about tongues. 
In other words, the devil doesn't fight the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But he sure does fight tongues. Now, why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, we just read here. When we speak in in an unknown tongue, we're speaking mysteries directly with God. Since there's secrets, divine secrets, the devil can't get in on them. He doesn't know what's going on. And he knows what a lot of Christians don't know, and that is speaking with tongues will strengthen you as a believer. Did you see verse 2? He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, I'm sorry, verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That word edify means to build up. And the word picture that is used from the Greek language on this is to put the roof on the house. In other words, to complete a building project or complete a housing project. Greek scholars tell us that there's a, a better definition of that for us today that they didn't have and didn't, wouldn't be able to relate to. But when our batteries go down, whether it's in our car or on our smartphone or tablets or whatever, we have to plug them in, plug them into something that will replenish a, the charge in that battery. So we could say he that edifies himself, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. It would also mean to recharge Specifically, it means to strengthen. See, whether you're talking about building the, the, completing the, the house by putting the roof on it, or whether you're talking about charging yourself up like a battery, it's intended, the words are intended to communicate that it's a way to bring spiritual strength unto us. Now, do you remember Acts chapter 1 where we started? Verse 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What's going to cause the power to be made manifest? Speaking in other tongues. Speaking in other tongues. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He recharges himself. He strengthens himself spiritually. I've heard minister after minister say basically the same thing. Brother Hagin is the first one I heard it from. But he would say quite frequently, every revelation he's gotten, every supernatural and even spectacular thing that's happened in his life or in his ministry came after a period of time where he was, an extended period of time where he spoke with tongues. And that would have to make sense, folks, because remember Jesus talking to his disciples at the Last Supper in John 14, 15, and 16. He said several things about the Holy Ghost. He has said several things about what the Holy Ghost would do. One thing he said is he'll bring all things that I've said to your remembrance. Well, what enables the Holy Ghost to do that? Primarily when we speak in tongues. You go to speaking in tongues and exercising yourself spiritually. We know that it's spiritual exercise because of what we just read. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. When you're speaking in tongues you're speaking in the spirit. That means you're bypassing your body. That means you're bypassing your mind. That means you're exercising your spirit in a way that that you really can't do any other way. You're getting spiritual exercise benefits that you really can't get any other way. Someone would say, well, are tongues necessary? They must be. God gave them to us. Is it necessary to strengthen yourself? Is it necessary to build yourself up in spiritual strength or spiritual power? And I think so. Is it necessary for you to communicate with God in this supernatural way? God seemed to think so. Paul agreed. He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. 
Well, if he spoke in tongues more than that Corinthian bunch, he was speaking in tongues day and night. Because that's all they wanted to do. Now, Paul does have to bring some correction to the church at Corinth. He does have to show them how tongues should best be used. And Paul identifies that other than the ministry of tongues and interpretation, which we'll talk about at another time, speaking with other tongues is primarily a devotional gift. It's a devotional gift because it helps you fellowship with the Father. It's a devotional gift because it strengthens you in the midst of your situation, your difficulty, your adversity perhaps, whatever circumstance that you're under. It strengthens you. It brings revelation to you. It shows you what God wants you to do. All those scriptures in John 14, 15, 16, where it tells us what the Holy Ghost will do for us, the foundation for that activity to take place, the foundation for that work of the Holy Ghost to manifest itself in your life comes from speaking in other tongues. The more you speak in other tongues, the more spiritually sensitive you become. The more you speak in other tongues, the more aware you become of spiritual things rather than natural things or physical things. Now, tongues and interpretation are a part of the New Testament dispensation. And what I mean by that is if you look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, at that list of nine different things, nine different ways the Holy Ghost manifests itself, himself, of those nine ways, there are only two of them that you can't find in the Old Testament. And that's tongues and interpretation of tongues. Those are unique to the New Testament dispensation. But the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and, and special faith and the power gifts as well, gifts of healings, working of miracles and so forth, all those you can find in the Old Testament. But tongues and interpretation of tongues are the only ones that are different. They're the only ones that are specific to the New Testament only. So God must have considered that to be important enough to include. And tongues and interpretation of tongues in that list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is talking about how they should operate in public services. There is a ministry of tongues and interpretation. That's not what Paul's talking about specifically over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's talking about speaking in tongues in your daily life. He's talking about speaking in tongues as a part of your everyday Christian walk. And it edifies us. It builds us up. It recharges us. It strengthens us. One of the things Jesus said that the Holy Ghost would do is abide with you forever. Speaking in other tongues makes you aware of the presence of God in you. Makes you aware of the Holy Ghost who's been given to you to help you accomplish the things God has for you. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He edifies himself. Folks, nobody can edify you the way that you can yourself by speaking in other tongues. Because no matter what teaching of the word, no matter what revelation from God comes through the preaching or the ministry of the word, nothing substitutes for you spending time with God on your own, just you and him. Because he wants to tell you things that go beyond what preaching and teaching we will hear. He wants to tell you things specifically and unique to you. And that can only happen if we open ourselves up to hear the voice of God. And one of the ways to do that, the primary way in my opinion to do that is to speak in other tongues. You just can't overemphasize the importance of speaking in other tongues. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He strengthens himself. And in the spirit he's speaking divine secrets. 
What can be more important than that? What can be more important than that? Now, some people used to, uh, uh, some churches, some denominations, used to hold to the truth or hold to what they thought was the truth about when the Holy Ghost comes on you, then you speak with other tongues, but you can't do it only unless the Holy Ghost keeps coming on you. They would see this in some of the uh, Pentecostal groups Brother Hagin used to go to in the early days of his ministry. He used to talk about how that many of the churches, most of the churches probably, would not or didn't think they could use tongues whenever they wanted to. And Brother Hagin was of the opinion that you could, and it kind of caused a, a, a conflict between some of the churches that he would be in because of the way that he would operate as opposed to the way that they thought that it worked. They thought that the Holy Ghost had to move in some way. Brother Hagin called it some spirit of ecstasy before they would open their mouths to speak with other tongues. And he didn't know what was right on this. He said himself that he asked the Lord, Lord, who's right about this? Because some people, and the devil sure tried to tell him this too, because he was one of the only ones, at least the only one he knew of, that was aware of the fact or believed it to be a fact that you could speak with tongues any time that you wanted to. That put him at odds with some of the ministers, some of the pastors that he would preach for. And it put him at odds with some of the church doctrines. So he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, what is this? Who's right? The devil would even tell him that he didn't have the right spirit on it. Because certainly the devil would be interested and advantaged by thinking, people thinking that they couldn't speak in tongues whenever they wanted to. So he asked, he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, what is this? In chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, he found his answer. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14, he says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Remember I said to you that this is a means of spiritual exercise? This is what this is confirming. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So he reasoned this out. It wasn't a matter of God telling him. He just revealed it to him in the Word. And he reasoned this out. And he said, now I could get off of this chair where I'm sitting and get on my knees and pray with my understanding, pray out of my mind anytime I wanted to, right? Well, of course, that'd be true. And he said and recognized, he said, now Paul said that in the same way I can choose to speak with my, according to my understanding, according to my mentality, in the same way I can choose to speak with other tongues and allow my spirit to give, utter, to give expression to the supernatural utterance that the Holy Ghost gives. So he knelt down and started praying in other tongues. He did this for a period of time, turned out to be an extended period of time, but he did this for a period of time just to prove to himself that this is what the Bible was talking about. Well, since the Bible clearly says, as he realized for himself, as the, since the Bible clearly says that we can speak with other tongues at will, just like we can speak or pray with our understanding at will. Since that's the case, speaking with tongues should make, a big, make up a big part of our prayer life, shouldn't it? Speaking with other tongues should make up at least half of our prayer life. 
Is that the place that it holds in your life? Is that the importance that you give to it? Well, it sure should be. It should be a daily exercise. Don't let a day go by without spending time praying in other tongues. Don't let a day go by without getting along with your Father and speaking divine secrets. Don't let a day go by without strengthening yourself spiritually by speaking in other tongues. Now, there's some more things I want to talk to you about on this, but we'll save it for next time. I think I'm, uh, maybe we'll just turn this into a series about the Holy Ghost for the next several weeks because there's some things that the Lord has put on my heart and quickened me to, to, uh, to tell you about that I think will be a blessing to you. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Father, we bless your holy name. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for the privilege that we have to speak with other tongues. Thank you, Father, that when we speak in other tongues, we're exercising spiritual strength. We're edifying ourselves. We're recharging our spiritual batteries. We thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us. Now, this is a home crowd. I don't think there's anybody here, particularly after the things that we've said tonight, that would be offended by us speaking in other tongues. So let's just spend a few minutes before we go just speaking out in other tongues. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Father, for the precious Holy Spirit that indwells us. Thank you, Father, that you've provided a means for us to strengthen ourselves, to tap into your power. We thank you, Father, for all the wonderful things that speaking in other tongues provides for us, the great spiritual benefits that come from us expressing ourselves, exercising our spirits according to your will and your purpose. We love you, Father. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.